Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on this week's episode, we'll be speaking about the journey from working with IBM on supercomputers to technical product management. We'll look at some of the ways you can move from a deeply technical background into product management. We'll find out if it's really true that you need an MBA to be an effective product manager. We'll also find out why Singing in the Rain is the perfect product movie and how it's pretty much the lean startup in cinematic form. If this all sounds good, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Mark Yamashita, Technical Product Director at Sensibil, Product School guest speaker, multiple marathon runner, author of six patents. Hi, Mark. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jason. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So first things first, six patents. Anything you can talk about? Anything that you, uh, that you kind of stand behind and are really proud of? Yeah. So, I mean, I got into patents when I was working at IBM and, you know, they're, they're sort of the undisputed king of patents, have been for quite a while. My first one actually was working on uh, the IBM BlueJean machine, which became the fastest supercomputer in the world back in, I believe, 2012. And it was just a small incremental improvement, but you know, it, it really helped me to, to find interest in patents as a way to drive innovation. From there at Capital One, I, I, I did another four and I even helped set up the sort of the patent initiative in our Canadian office. And it was just a great way to, to get people excited about trying to find a new avenue to, to innovate. Yeah. And is that something that you had to kind of almost defend at any point or that your companies had to defend? Or, or Because I know that obviously one of the points of, of having a patent is that you can defend it and, and, and kind of keep the IP. Is that something that actually came up or were they more kind of defensive plays at the time? I think with Capital One, it was, it was really just about building that patent portfolio as they saw their competitors. I always think of patents as being either a sword, a shield, or a gold coin. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I, I've, never, I've never had a patent that, you know, had to go to litigation. But I think just having that there and, and knowing that if, if that did occur, there would be a little bit of weight behind potential court battle was one, was one driving force that made it a priority at Capital One. And this kind of dovetailed nicely into kind of a broader initiative out of, out of the head office where they also realized that they should start putting some protection around their IP because it's a big company. They were developing a lot of interesting and novel things and love it or hate it, the patent system really does drive a certain amount of, uh, you know, re- requires a certain amount of protection. So you work for Sensibil. What problem does Sensibil solve and, and, and how are you helping them solve it? Yeah, so Sensibil is a kind of a startup scale up based here in Toronto. We do receipt management technology. So our product used by some UK banks is one where you can upload receipts and we, we manage and organize all of that. We help you keep it for tax purposes or help you manage your finances through it. So it's really just a convenient way for someone to make sure that whatever we, uh, whatever you purchase, is recorded for whatever purpose you need it. And you know, really, the problem that we're like the way that I approach that problem is that how do we make this something that drives value back to our users? Uh, how do we make sure that uh, you understand the value when you 
upload a receipt, and when you need it, it's there for you. It's an interesting space within sort of fintech where I've been for a long time because it it solves such a what you consider a niche problem, but in a really interesting way that kind of completes the ecosystem. So that's interesting because I remember back in probably a few years ago now when I was still when I was still basically having to scan and photocopy receipts and email them and attach them to web forms and stuff like that to get expenses back. And I remember when I started at my current company and we we, we were using, I don't know uh, whether it's a particularly big company, but uh, uh, I won't mention it because they're not paying me to advertise, but just having that kind of mobile app on and just something that just scanned and kind of OCR'd the receipts and then just uploaded it and kind of submitted everything. It's like, that to me was almost like, uh, it, was also, it was almost magic. And obviously it's not magic. And actually I can probably pretty much imagine how every single part of that chain works, but it still felt like magic. And the fact that no one had done it for me before was, yeah, I, I almost wanted to like just hug the phone as soon as I saw that because it was just, it's just such a pain point for me. Yeah. And it's, I think it's such a pain point for a lot of people still. It's it's hard to go in and modify a lot of these systems. And you're, you've hit on it. It's it's really interesting in that all of the different pieces of technology exist along the way. And it's really about combining them in a way that makes that, makes that user flow seamless and kind of bringing in all the, all the corner cases, all the different nuances so that you don't have to think about what happens when you when you submit your receipt for an expense because really i mean i've been there too and it's it's a it's a definite pain point that is just aching to be solved i think also it's, it touches another point which is obviously kind of product management 101 it's like don't fall in love with the bits of the solution in this case don't fall, don't yeah, just having bits of technology isn't enough they have to fit into a kind of front to back journey and i think that that's from my perspective something that that every product person should be aiming for because Anyone can make bits of cool technology, but if they don't stick together, then you know, you've just got loads of springs and cogs on the floor. And what's the point? Exactly. Um, you know, I work a lot with uh, the team that actually builds the engine, and you know, in the guts of the system, day in, day out. And it's it's always important. And as a product manager, I try to give them that give them that high level view at every opportunity. Of here's the problem that we're trying to solve. Let's let's not forget that because we will start to make suboptimal decisions or we'll go down the wrong path because we're forgetting where we're trying to get to so always you know sort of reinforcing that that problem that value proposition i think is one of the big values that product managers bring to a team and that leads on to my next question which i know when we we spoke earlier you said that one of your your passions to paraphrase is is building effective relationships between sort of product and engineering and i know that you've got an engineering background yourself and obviously, depending on which Medium article you read or which blog post you look at, yeah, that, that's not always, or that doesn't always seem to be actually a thing that happens. And there seems to be quite an antagonistic relationship between many product and engineering teams uh, around the world. And I don't know if that's all played up for effect or if that's actually as antagonistic as it seems. But it feels like, from my perspective, the only way to, to work together towards a goal is, is to actually be kind of in step and, and kind of synced up, like you say. I just wondered what what some of your main approaches are or have been to to really foster that working relationship. Yeah, you know when I when I first moved into product, I I was reluctant to take off my engineering hat, and the lines between product and engineering kind of blurred. And you know I found that was not a great approach. And then I you know met of overshot, and 
decided the product needed to decide what needed to be built and how it how it had to be built. And that was, again, a mistake. And really what I've come to, the ethos that I've come to preach is that we as product managers need to take engineers along for the journey, you know, sometimes to their chagrin because not all engineers want to come along that journey. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's important that they understand how we make decisions and why we choose one piece of intent over another and why something is important or why it's not. As an engineer working at IBM developing compilers, I would work on such a very small part of the system. And then, you know, having built that very small part, not really understanding how it contributed. So giving engineers the context, context to understand even how their, you know, very small contribution helps solve that problem, I find is very important. And, you know, it's something that I come back to on a regular basis with the tech teams that I work with. Yeah, I think from my perspective, it's really important not to just kind of throw the ball over the fence or more likely throw the grenade over the fence and, and just yeah, let the team deal with it. But I've also had situations in the past where as a kind of former developer myself that I've almost ended up writing step-by-step recipes for problems. And that's that's just that's just not my job. And I, and I shouldn't be doing that. And I think it, it kind of really really resonates with the, what you were saying at the beginning of that, which is like, yeah, you, sometimes you can go too far. And I think that it's important not to go too far in either direction and, and just maintain that kind of, well, just, just maintain a collaborative spirit, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way that I tend to explain it is that within product, I, I own the, the why and the what. But I'm, I've been very careful since coming into product to leave the how up to the engineers. So make sure that if at any point they're, they ask me, how do we build this? I, I you know, kind of take a step back and be overly obvious that that's not my decision to make. I'm giving you the freedom to, to understand that. But also within that, why are we doing it? What are we doing? You know, making sure that they, they at least feel like their opinion is being heard. You know, the best engineers that I've worked with have, have a little bit of you know, product manager in them. And they're willing to tell it, you know, they're willing to tell their PMs, you know, I, I understand what you want. I understand why, but can I propose a solution that might actually get us there sooner or might actually solve a better problem? So collaboration isn't just about helping engineers understand why, but it's also about really defining the better problem or building the better product. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, the engineers are the closest to the product. They understand the nuts and bolts. And you know, they might be able to uncover trade-offs that we in product haven't even thought about that can be immensely powerful. You mentioned earlier that you, you worked at IBM and you were building compilers and working on the fastest computer in the world. So I guess the first question is, is it still the fastest computer in the world? <laughs> no. Or uh, have you been, did, did it all fall apart after you left? So I think uh, it, it did what it needed to do, but has since been <laughs> many times over. Yeah, I th- it was it was a few petaflops, which you know back in the day was was pretty fast. But I think there are, are just leaps and bounds uh, improvements as as it happens. Who knows? Maybe maybe IBM is working on that on that next iteration. But uh, it was it was an amazing experience, just because we were working on on such cutting edge technology. And you know mentioned earlier that's that's kind of where I caught the patent bug. But uh, yeah, it was. It was it was amazing how I went so 
technically deep and then kind of came back out of it, decided, decided to go to business school and then eventually landed in product. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. I mean, you've been building compilers, which not all developers can do. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very, I certainly couldn't. It's a very, it's a very hardcore kind of tech, very hardcore development, in my opinion. And maybe you'll tell me that it's not, but it, it kind of feels that you're really deep into the weeds at that point. And it just seems a little bit of a transition to go from that via business school, as you say, into then your kind of product career, which started out at Capital One, I think, in 2014, kind of going from a, a business analyst and then sort of rising up through the ranks of product. And again, that seems like a bit of a long journey because of, of where you started. But I guess the, the, the question is, what gave you the bug and, and what, what started you on that journey? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, compilers are, they're very tactical. They're, they're almost as close to the hardware as you can get without actually changing circuits. <laughs> but even even a compiler, you know, you need to you need to pro- project manage it. You need to product manage it. And as I progressed in my career at IBM, I found myself being more interested in you know the decisions that we made and and how we decided <clears throat> what the product would evolve into and how did we make sure everything was getting done than you know the actual code aspect of it. And that was that was where I started to to sort of challenge my preconceived conception that I would be a technical person for the remainder of my career. From there, I think the, the MBA was maybe my chance to, to make a clean switch to, to try something new and to live abroad for a year, which was just a great experience. So it was really one of those things where the grass was greener. And, and the funny part was that when I joined Capital One as a business analyst, I decided I, I didn't like being that far into the business and then found a happy <laughs> medium between products uh, in product where I kind of have one foot on the business side, one foot on the tech side, and you know get to kind of shift back and forth as the day progresses. MBAs have a bit of a mixed reputation, certainly in product circles. <laughs> and I know that it depends on who you ask, but some people will say, you know, an MBA is absolutely fantastic and an amazing grounding in business. And others will say, well, look, if you work in a business for a bit, then you'll you'll know that and that no tech founder has got an MBA and all that stuff. And I'm sure that there's a wide array of, of, of other opinions. And personally, I mean, I don't have an MBA, but I did read a book by Josh Kaufman about effectively that claimed to say that, that it could teach you anything that an MBA could in, in, in the space of however many pages that book was. Do you feel that an MBA was, was something like more like a kickstart for your career? Or do you feel that day by day that actually still really helps you out? Yeah. You know, when I went into the MBA, it really was that opportunity to, to transition and kind of looking back on it it, it, it is a really good way for an engineer to build the business acumen to make a transition into product because, you know, that's a, it's a hard thing to do if you're an engineer and you want to get into product. The other piece of it was that I try to look at the MBA from a more holistic standpoint. Did I make great connections, great friends? Did I have great experiences within my time? And all of these very much so. I think if you go into an MBA just expecting to, to be able to make a career change or fill in sort of the business acumen you need to go into product or any other business space, you might be disappointed by not only kind of the, the cost or the return on investment, but there's also a huge opportunity cost I know in the UK, it's great because MBAs are one year, but 
North America, that's, you know, two years of opportunity cost plus a great deal of tuition. So it, you know, it's, you really need to look at an MBA from a holistic standpoint and make sure that you're getting your value in different places. So yeah, I, I, I honestly would say that I, I value my MBA and the experience that it afforded me. And speaking of, of teaching, I know that you've done some, some work with Product School. I think you've done at least three sessions with them. How, how did you get into that and, and, and how did it go? Yeah, it was a great opportunity. I really I enjoy mentoring product managers and helping junior product managers to level up or people to get into the, the profession. Product School was a great opportunity because it, you know, let me, let me talk about things that I was passionate about, you know, working with technical teams. I did one on uh, objectives and key results. So it was just a way to, to share my knowledge. And, you know, that's something that I think any, any product manager who has been in the trenches for a while or, you know, has, has launched a product will have those skills and should almost be an expectation that you're willing to share those experiences and those learnings with more junior PMs. Product is one of those things where you don't, can't really get a bachelor's of product management there's no, you know, there's no formal apprenticeship. It's almost like uh, product management is this de facto apprenticeship where you get into the field, you, you know, you find a network of mentors or informal mentors, and you build up your skills that way. And organizations like Product School sort of facilitate that by allowing more senior PMs to do webinars or in-person chats or ask me anything. And I think that it's a great organic way to build up the profession because, to be honest, there's, there's no formalized path in it. And we need to, you know, we as a profession need to figure out how to foster people coming in. Yeah, it, it very much feels like product is the kind of archetypal school of hard knocks type of <laughs> profession. It's like, yeah, you, yeah, you have to have been around a bit and had a few experiences and stuff like that. And I think that. The alternative seems to be that you, you know, maybe you go into a, a, an associate product manager program at, at somewhere like Facebook or Google or something like that and, and kind of go in really entry level and get trained up on the job. But obviously not everyone could do that. And I completely agree that mentorship and, and tutoring and stuff like that is, is really valuable and, and definitely something that I aspire to do more of uh, sort of going forward. But one of the sessions you did was the Ask Me Anything session, which you said, I guess my question is, what was the hardest question? that was asked of you at the Ask Me Anything session? And could you answer it? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I think it would come back to, you know, what we've just been talking about. And it was someone who asked me, like, I've got, I've got some experience in tech, I want to get in a product, but no one will give me that opportunity. Like, how do I become a product manager? And I think this is the same question that a lot of people struggle with. They're intelligent, they, they have a solid background in, in a related field but they want to become product managers. And I probably like, I don't think I gave a great answer. It was you know, <laughs> network. It was, you know, do events like these. It was build up your skill set. But really what, as a, you know, when I was, when, I, when I'm hiring for a PM, it's really hard to take a chance on someone who has never been a product manager because it's such a, there, there are certain skills that are just really hard to develop outside of being there in front of a tech team and inspiring them to write great code and making 
really hard product decisions and saying no to people who are more senior to you. And those are things that are just, it's hard to, to learn them through an associate, well, outside of an associate program. Mm. How big is the team you've got uh, sensible at the moment? So I currently have, uh, I have an analyst and a, and a product manager uh, that are reporting into me. So still a fairly small team. I had a team of five at my past shop where I managed both design and, and product. But, you know, it's great that I get to spend a lot of time helping to develop the PMs that are on my team. Uh, they're, uh, my team is very talented and it's, it's just great to, to be able to spend time to help them grow their career and craft opportunities to, uh, to, to get them to, to grow into senior product managers. And you also said before this call that one of the things that kind of grinds your gears is the use of the term product owner to represent a junior product manager. And this is something I basically agree with because if we think of a product owner, it's just, it could be anyone. It could be someone from the engineering team. It could be someone from the product team. It, it, it doesn't, it, it's a scrum position, right? It's not, a, it's not a job title as such. And I wondered if that's why you didn't like it or if you've got some other beef against it. Yeah, well, I mean, a product owner is, I would say, a role within Scrum, right? It's someone who manages the backlog and, and runs certain ceremonies. But it's not, a, it's not really a position because, I mean, to do all of that, you need to be able to manage a product. And I think even having, I know, I've, I know of organizations that have product owners and product managers, and there's just almost a, a degree of disconnect there. How can you have someone managing a backlog if they don't understand and have the autonomy to make certain decisions? At my last shop, we had we had product owners, and one of the first things I did was said, "Okay, you guys are product managers now because I want you to have the agency to make the decisions you need to to create a great product." And just being able to move stories and not make decisions is an aspect of that. And yeah, I realize it's just a, a title, but I think the words that that go into your title really help define how you see yourself and how you how you, you know, sort of craft the role within your, uh, within your team. Yeah, and I think words do matter as well. It's, it's, you're right that it's just a title and, yeah, they could be called product anything if it came to it and still do the same job and get paid the same money and do the same things. But I think the only reasons that I think that, that job titles are important, uh, it's kind of twofold really. One of which is, of course, that, yeah, frankly, it's good for people's CVs. You know, if you assume that they're going to go on into their career and go somewhere else, yeah, and that's not something you should be unconscious of. Uh, but also, it's it's really good to help set expectations within the company amongst colleagues and you know, or yeah, you know, with clients and, and 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 stuff like that as well. It's like, yeah, would I expect someone to treat the person differently with a different job title? Probably not. But at the same time, at least it makes it unambiguous. They they they're, they're there, and and this is what they're going to do, and and it's a, it's a title that makes sense, and it has words in it that people understand and. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of kind of uncomplicated job titles as much as possible and, and job titles that represent the job that the person is doing and and not trying to make sort of artificial distinctions as, as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um my wife's a linguist, so I, I definitely <laughs> know that words matter and I think being able to call yourself a product manager just gives you yeah, a certain amount of uh, a little bit more agency over the decisions you make. Uh, I think it makes it a little bit easier to say no, which is, I think, one of the hardest things you have to do as a as a PM. 
Not if you read all the uh, the blog posts. There's like 150 blog posts telling you how you should say no to pretty much everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> you also wrote an article on LinkedIn saying that Singing in the Rain is the <laughs> perfect product movie. Now, I've not seen Singing in the Rain for, for a while, but I wondered why you thought it was the perfect product movie. Yeah, uh, it's probably a movie that I only I only watched the first time about six months ago. But, and then as I was watching it, I was just... I was impressed. It was it was back from I think nineteen fifty mid nineteen fifties. But the way that they take a movie, which let's be honest, is essentially a product, and adapt it to new technology, that they go out and they test and learn, and then use that information to drive back into it. This this it was basically like reading uh, the Lean Startup, but you know, in a, <laughs> in a two hour version around the film industry. So, you know, it's just, I find it surprising that the product community talks about how we're this test and learn type of organization that we sponge all of these, these great things and, and make it sound as if we invented them to a certain point. And then you, you know, you go look at the film industry and I actually dug up on this and they've been doing test screenings since the 1920s. And they do these almost for almost every movie out there so that they, they understand what are the receptions and it's just great to see that, you know, there's another industry out there that hasn't just done this kind of early, early adopter testing, but have actually, you know, it's, it's ingrained in the, in the way that they, they develop a movie. And I think that's something that we can learn from, you know, if the film industry can, can sort of solidify this within their process. And, you know, the film industry is very process oriented, how, uh, how long is it going to take for product to get to that level of maturity where whatever we do, whatever product we push out, it, it isn't about if we can test and learn it. It's about when do we test and learn it or what step of the process is that in? So it was a bit of a, you know, the movie was a bit of a wake up call and that, hey, this is, you know, we're, 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 maybe, we're maybe behind the times when we look and compare ourselves to certain industries and also, I uh, I thought the movie was fantastic. So if I can, you know, if I can push some of my my uh, LinkedIn connections to go and watch it, you know, better. Yeah. So I I've got a slightly different take, which um, because I've seen a few of this, like what is the the you know what such and such a film taught me about product management. I'm actually midway through crafting an article called "What the Human Centipede Taught Me About Product Management," but um, I've I've not quite got it yet. I'm not sure if that's actually something that's probably better off as just a title that I can use in a screenshot versus actually a, a thing that I should actually publish. But um, I want to go with it for now. Uh, but I definitely wouldn't recommend that anyone watches it. Oh, I was about to say, I, I, maybe I'll go and watch it tonight. <laughs> you, you, you should not. Okay. <laughs> so you've run, I think, 17 marathons. Is that right? I think at last count, it was up around there. Yes. 17 marathons. So I've done three, which I was feeling pretty good about, but I obviously feel pretty chastened now. I wonder if there's any kind of running related wisdom that you could offer from a product perspective. Uh, I mean, for me, I think my wisdom is that if you're a product manager, you should take up a sport like running. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I, especially, you know, when I'm deep into a conversation, uh, when we're in the exploration phase of a product and we're, we're thinking through alternatives, I can get so deep in it that I, I sort of, miss the miss the forest from the trees and going out and going for a run or you know doing anything that's sort of 
is more physically focused and lets your brain sort of turn off is a great way to just sort of organize your thoughts. You know, we spoke about patents earlier. When do, when my innovative brain tends to turn on when I go for a run. So it's just, it's a great way to almost allow your brain to organize all of your thoughts and let it just wander just enough so that it's, uh, you know, it's thinking through some of the, some of the possibilities on the edge of that realm. Sounds good. And obviously, uh, as, a, as a slightly less uh, competent runner from the looks of it, it's definitely something that I, I think I, was, I said earlier, it's like <laughs> this ability to just go out and get away from the screen and get out in the fresh air. And obviously during lockdown and everything, this was something that I found or, you know, just life-saving. I think I was running like a half marathon every Sunday or something at one point just because I had literally nothing else to do. Um, not not fast. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you just you know, pop the pop the earphones in and listen to something, and and off you go, and 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 you know, you come back, and then you just sit in your house again until the next day. But it was definitely, uh, yeah, definitely, it's definitely a great outlet. And I think, yeah, you're right that yeah, product management can be a, a busy, stressful kind of nonstop, unrelenting career from time to time. Yeah, there's lots to love about it, but it, it can be really hard. And I think that anything that you can do to kind of let let that pressure out i can definitely see the, the benefits to that yeah and you know when you're not competing with a canadian winter it makes it a little bit easier <laughs> so you know it's yeah it's it's a great uh i mean any any i think any sport where you can kind of switch off a little bit and put your brain on the back burner is just it's a great way to release energy and it i think as a product person it just helps you to organize all of your thoughts in a way that you can come back to the conversation refreshed and possibly with a with a new perspective so next question would be you're at a barbecue someone comes over maybe a you know, new partner of, of, of a sibling or something like that and they they ask you to to tell them what you do for a living how do you describe product management to that person yeah this is uh you know, this is a question that we come to. I, I mean, I've, I think I've tried to explain what I do to my mother at least a dozen times. I think it's starting to, to slowly sink in. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think of myself as I help, guide a, I help guide a development team to build a great digital product. I explain, well, through all of the digital products that I've worked on, you know, is that here's what we build and Obviously, my mother is like, well, do you still write the code? And like, no, I, I guide and I also inspire others to do it for me. I mean, as product managers, we it's hard to explain because we don't really we don't really create anything tangible. We don't really we do don't anything do anything. God damn it! <laughs> um, but I think I'm starting to convince her that just helping others to to do their best, bringing people together from technology, design, business, uh, marketing, whatever it may be, is, is a valuable career pursuit. And I think she's coming around that, yes, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe sort of stepping away from engineering hasn't been the worst decision uh, of my life. Have you got any advice? I know we were talking earlier about kind of bringing people up and mentoring them. Have you got any advice for anyone trying to get into the product management game today? Yeah, I think the first is, is, to, is to reach out and, and find a mentor. There are very few PMs out there that I know of that would turn down an opportunity to to share their wisdom. Um, you know, usually at any given time, I have both a mentor and a mentee. Admittedly, with with lockdown, it's been a bit harder, but um, 
I think it's, it's really helpful to have someone who has been through it, someone who can, who can open doors and make connections for you. So if you know someone or happen to bump into someone at a barbecue who's a product manager, <laughs> knows one. Uh, we, we don't get invited normally. But. Uh, that's fair. You know, make that connection and just be bold. Reach out and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to get into product management. I'm also looking for a mentor. Can, can we have coffee like once a month? And uh, maybe you can just help me make the right decisions to, to open up this career for me. And um, I think it, you'll be pleasantly surprised because most, I think most PMs would be happy to do it. I'm sure there's one evil PM out there somewhere that wouldn't. But no, that's great. That's, <laughs> that's, that's great advice. That's obviously, yeah, I think, as you said earlier, getting, getting connections and, and, and kind of networking and, and just getting as many opinions and, and kind of as much feedback as possible, I think, is it's essential to, to grow any career. But I think it's especially essential in, in product. So where can, uh, where can people find you if they want to chat to you about product after this? Yeah, well, um, always happy to connect on LinkedIn. And um, for those in North America or in the UK, always happy to have a chat. Maybe someday in the near future, that could even be a, you know, a coffee chat, depending <laughs> on how things go with, with all the craziness that's happening uh, with the pandemic. But you know, if anybody has questions around uh, what we discussed today, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I will put the link in the in the description and hope that you get a, a an avalanche of people into your into your mentions. <laughs> uh, mentions is Twitter, whatever whatever they call mentions in LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, no, thanks very much, Mark. It's been a fantastic chat, and I wish you wish you the best for the rest of the year, and and hope we can get through this thing together. Yes, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Oh, absolutely, and uh, let's uh, let's stay in touch. We'll do. Thanks for listening. As always, if you found this episode interesting, I'd love it if you could leave a review or a rating on the podcast app of your choice. And to paraphrase Batman, tell all your friends about me. In either case, I'll be back next week with more fantastic content. So for now, thank you and good night. Good night.